0: This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Lister discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera, a mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no meta The roll of the Bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of Bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. The party, accompanied by Canute, Ali and three of Knut's crew began their journey across the bleak Moors towards the ruined fortress of Kerodu. In a flashback, 23 years earlier, we learnt that Beric's mother, Brea, had become pregnant by a Skane warrior named Einar, and had died in childbirth, which was contrary to the story told to him growing up, leaving Beric to believe his parents died of plague. Back in the present, the proceeded through a lifeless forest called Marocruz, until they came across a lake in a clearing, which appeared to be immune to the malady which afflicted the forest. The party proceeded along a causeway to an island in the middle of the lake where they planned to take rest, but as they did so, they were ambushed by a hydra. The battle that followed was swift and bloody, as both Keir and Valen were almost killed and Talion badly injured, but the company prevailed thanks to the prowess of Beric and Canute, who decapitated three of the heads before their retainer, Arn. Finished the Hydra with his spear. Chapter Twenty Five Part One Day Thirty Two Afternoon Party Status Beric Twenty One out of Twenty Three Hit Points Lena 13 out of 16 hit points. Kier, 1 out of 10 hit points. Valen, 3 out of 11 hit points. Talion, 8 out of 16 hit points. Knut, 20 out of 20 hit points. Yora, 12 out of 12 hit points. Bjorn, 9 out of 12 hit points. Arn, 11 out of 12 hit points. Spells available, Valen has memorized push, shield, and soothe. Lena can pray for two first level miracles. Pain Searing Pain. There was nothing else. Only pain. It had been so quick. One moment he had been walking behind the mage. Then suddenly. There had been chaos, an ear-splitting roar, the odour of algae and the shower of water, followed swiftly by the putrid stench of hot stale breath, and an instant later the spray of blood and all-consuming agony. The moments that followed were a blur. He had only been dimly aware of something or someone tugging hard on his tunic, pulling him away from the terrifying sound until he fell upon the cold, hard ground. Despite the unbearable torment, memories of his former life flooded his mind. An image of his mother dropping a live crab into the cooking pot, followed by the hiss and squeal as the crustacean was boiled alive. Next he saw the cruel, brutish face of Silas. His lip curled up with sneering malice, revealing his yellow, rotting teeth. The gang leader's harsh features melted away into white and the gentle, kindly face of a nun came softly into view. Agatha, Keir croaked hoarsely. She had been there when he had no one else. In the harsh streets of Godsport, it had only been Agatha who had shown him love and care. He felt a cool hand upon his shoulder, where the excruciating pain was raw and unforgiving. Agatha, he croaked again as he heard her voice in prayer giver of life, our eternal flame, hallowed be thy name. Her voice was distant, muffled, and indistinct, but regardless, and despite the agony, the sound of it gave him comfort. So let it be, now, and for eternity. Then, as her words faded away, so did the pain. Kian, he heard her speak his name but he could not reply, for he was already sinking into oblivion. Well now, that encounter with the Hydra in the last episode was intense. I honestly do not know how that combat did not result in a character death. I do think the party got quite lucky with the Hydra's hit dice, but still, despite some serious injury, The bones were definitely on the party's side. Without Beric rolling that Nat 20, things could have been very different. It also goes to show a couple of important aspects of the old school approach. Firstly, gathering retainers when you are knowingly going somewhere dangerous and the odds might be against you. And secondly, when you get ambushed by something truly terrifying, it's sometimes better to run. With Keir and Valen so badly injured, I think it makes sense for the party to rest here until the next morning. And whilst this will eat into the time they have before the Uberdracker's crew leaves, it's too big a risk for the party to continue without some additional healing. So first up, as we have just heard, Lena has prayed for Kier to be healed. I made the rolls off Mike, and the rogue was restored by three hit points. Next, Lena will pray for Valen to be healed. The cleric needs to roll a 17 or less for her prayer to be answered. A 5. Valen is healed for 4 hit points. Afterwards, Valen will attempt to cast Soothe on Keir. He needs to roll a 16 or less to succeed. A 7. Kier is made comfortable in his bedroll and drifts into a magically induced sleep, which will restore 3 hit points. The least injured members of the party will sit watches, and I am going to make a wandering encounter check for the night. A roll of one or two on a d6 will indicate an encounter. A six. The night passes uneventfully, and anyone injured regains one hit point. Lena will once again pray for the miracle of divine healing. First for Valen. Here is Lena's prayer roll. A one. Now according to my house rule, a natural one on a prayer roll is a critical success and results in the gods bestowing a great blessing. To determine what that is, I have a random table which you can find at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Rolling a d6. A 5. Let's see. Oh! The table indicates that the cleric's holy symbol is imbued with a holy power, determined by the referee. In effect, Lena's holy symbol has become a divine artifact, but what should its divine power be? Hmm. Okay, I think there's two logical choices. The first would be that the symbol itself can automatically deliver healing. And the second is that the symbol grants Lena a permanent protection from evil while she wears it. I am going to make a simple high-low roll on a D20 to determine which it is. High will be healing, low will be protection. A nine. I think that makes sense. The nine have rewarded Lena for her devotion and for choosing to heal others before herself. Right. We still need to see how many hit points Valen recovers from the miracle. Ah, just one. Lena will pray for a second miracle, this time to heal Tallian. Here is her prayer roll. An 8. The Bard is healed for... 3 hit points. Finally, Hydras are a treasure type B, so let's see if the party find anything of value. There is a 50% chance of Copper, 84. None. A 25% chance of silver. 56. Nothing. A 25% chance of gold. 72. Ah, this is not going well. A 25% chance of gems. 41. No. A 25% chance of jewellery. A 23. That's more like it. For speed, I have a table of random jewellery based on a roll of a d12, which you can find at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Let's see what the party have found. A seven. Let's see... Oh, okay. That's very fitting. It's a gold arm ring. And finally, there's a 10% chance of magic items. An 83. Before we get back to the story, I need to make some rolls for day 33. Weather. Eleven. Warm and fine. Stumble upon. 15, nothing. Losing direction. A one. That means the company has lost their way. Let's find out which direction. A three. Okay, that's east. The party will lose half a day as a result. Finally, wandering encounters. A six. Thankfully, no encounter. Okay, let's get back to the story. Chapter 25. Part 2. Day 33. Morning. Party status. Beric. 21 out of 23 hit points. Lena, 13 out of 16 hit points. Kier 8 out of 10 hit points. Valen. 9 out of 11 hit points. Talian. 12 out of 16 hit points. Canute. 20 out of 20 hit points. Yora, 12 out of 12 hit points. Bjorn, 9 out of 12 hit points. Arn, 12 out of 12 hit points. Spells available Valen has memorized Push, Shield, and Soothe. The sharp pain of bright light stabbed at Kier's eyes as he slowly flickered them open. The gloom-ridden grey of the previous day had been replaced with clear skies, as morning sunlight streamed through the leafless branches of Maro Kus. For a moment he thought the Hydra's attack had been a nightmare, but the pain in his shoulder quickly reminded him otherwise. He groaned as he sat up, and saw his companions were busying themselves about their makeshift camp. Keir pulled back the neck of his tunic to observe the wound expecting to see mangled flesh, but to his surprise, all that remained was a large black bruise. He put his hand up to it and gently massaged the muscle. He groaned again at the ache within. You're back in the land of the living, Beric said. He was coming over to where Keir was sitting. The big man was grinning. Yeah, just about, Keir replied with a half smile. I thought we'd lost you, the warrior said with seriousness, handing him a wooden cup that contained a hot, aromatic infusion. Here, Valen says it will help with the pain. Kia took a sip. Thanks. Just then, Canute came to join them. He nodded towards the rogue. You're tougher than you look, the Scandinavian warrior declared. Don't you know it? Canute grinned, then turned and placed a hand on Beric's shoulder. Yora found this among the bones and litter. He held up a finely wrought gold armring. The four of us think you should have it. Me? Why? Because yesterday you fought like a scarnet. He grinned. You deserve it. Beric took the armring and slipped it over his hand. Thank you. Watch it, Beric. Kit interjected. Before you know it. The bard will be singing about you." The company broke camp, and leaving the lake behind them, set off once again through the dead wood. The trees here became denser, with little of the sun able to poke its way through the knotted mass of boughs and branches. Between the dun-coloured trunks, thick tangles of dead brambles rose up, often blocking the way and seemingly directing the company down a path of its choosing. There was little talk among the companions, for despite the fine weather, the woods were oppressive, as if the trees themselves meant them ill. The going was frustratingly slow, and it was impossible to travel in a direct route. After a while, with no clear landmark or sight of the sun, it was clear that the party had lost direction. This is hopeless, Beric said in frustration, stopping to consult with the company wherever we turn, the way is blocked. Who knows what course we take. Something unnatural has a hold over this place. I can sense it," Valen offered. Whatever it is, it conspires against us. Have faith, Beric, Lena was resolute. The Nine will guide our way. As if in answer to Lena's conviction, a gust of wind carried the faint sound of waves and seabirds. The cleric smiled. Havla calls us." The company pressed on, following the sounds, and shortly they emerged from the tree line of Marrakoos. Forty yards ahead were cliffs, looking northeast over the Bay of Sorrow. The company approached, desiring to put distance between themselves and the cursed wood. The cliffs fell some 600 feet to the sea below, and the craggy cliff face was home to nesting herring gulls. There was no haze. And from the elevation, the companions could just make out a speck that was Ines gwyn on the horizon. But to the southeast, the lighthouse Porthyane was more clearly visible. The company proceeded northwest along the strip of grassy land between the coast and Maroous, not wishing to enter the tree line again. They continued this way for approximately three miles, until they came to the northernmost reaches of the wood. Here, a small circle, 30 feet in diameter. Of foot-high boulders stood poking upright out of the grass. From the edge of Marukus, the ground rose up, gently at first, but then the incline became steeper, building up to a large hill. There was evidence of ancient earthworks and ditches cut concentrically around the hill, and a dirt path wound its way up to the summit, where the crumbling walls of a fortress could be seen. Keru Talian said softly, As the companions stood looking up towards the dark ruins, wondering what evils lurked beyond their walls, Beric turned towards the Bard. What know you of this place? As gatherers of stories and legends, it's natural that Berwick should ask the Bard this question. But before I determine what Talia might have heard, I think I need to explain how Bards work in Legend of the Bones. Whilst the basic expert rules do not have a Bard class, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons does. The BX retro clone Old School Essentials has done an excellent job of adapting this to fit with BX, and I will be using that as the basis for Bards in my game. Having said that, this adaptation isn't quite what I wanted. So I have made a few changes, which you can find at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. In short, whilst bards in AD&D have a connection with druids, as this class does not exist in my game, in Legend of the Bones bards have more in common with mages, albeit their access to spells is through music and verse. Therefore, I felt it was more appropriate to give bards their own unique magic and as such I have created a full set of custom spells for the class. These spells represent the entirety of a bard's magical ability, and just like mages, the Bard must pass a successful intelligence check to cast a spell, and equally must recommit the spells to memory each day. So now I'm going to randomly roll Talion's spells. As a third level Bard, Talion has access to two first level spells, of which there are four possibilities. Roll in 2d4. A 1 and a 4. That will be the spells Poetic Prose and Resolve. When casting Poetic Prose, The Bard speaks in beautiful verse, and the power of their words sways the reaction of those they interact with. Mechanically, this bestows a plus two to any charisma check or reaction roll, although the subject must be able to hear and understand the Bard's language. When casting resolve, the Bard's words and or music imbues allies with greater resilience and endurance. Any ally in range receives a plus one to all saving throws for one turn. However, the Bard must play or speak for three rounds to invoke the spell. And the bard themselves do not receive the benefit. You can find a full list of bard spells and their descriptions at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Finally, bards have an additional skill which is pertinent to the current situation, which is that they have a two-in-six chance of knowing lore pertaining to places, monsters, artifacts, or heroes of folktale and legend. So let's find out whether Talian knows anything about Kerodu. Rolling a D6. A one. Okay. So, based on that, I am also going to see whether Tarleon can decipher the verse recited by Brother Catfail back at Inisquin. Another one? Well, it's a good job the bar decided to tag along. Chapter 25. Part 3 Day 33 Afternoon Party Status The party status is unchanged, except that Tallian has memorised the spells, Poetic Prose, and Resolve. The company sat upon the grass within the stone ring near the foot of the hill leading to Du. Kier had moved to sit upon one of the stones, until he was advised against it by Valen. Who told the rogue that the ancients who placed the stones would not approve. This was as good a place as any to rest and take food, for they knew not when the next opportunity might arise. And whilst they ate the salted mutton, bread and cheese provided by the monks, Manolf and Catveil, Tallian told them that which he knew. The tale of Keroldu is one of suffering and woe, the bard began. The legend tells how the fortress was once the domain of a powerful warlord. His queen, Netra, was sister to the warlord Vortigern, and when her brother forged the crown of the five jewels and made his bid for power, her husband refused to pay homage and instead took up arms against the tyrant. But Nedra's marriage had been a union of politics. She never loved her husband, and so she murdered him by placing a viper in the bed he shared with his mistress. Netra allied herself with her brother, as he crushed and cowed those who would stand against him. But the crown of the five jewels corrupted all who bowed before it, and Netra became known for her cruelty and malice, often throwing captives and slaves, including children, into pits filled with vipers for her own amusement, and through the screams of the tormented, Ka'udu became a place of fear, pain and suffering. Following the defeat of Vortigan by the hand of Derwen at the Battle of Ka'ulan, Netra fled back to Ka'udu, and it was here, with her enemies closing in, that Netra offered her soul to the powers of Darkness, in return for protection. And Darkness answered her call, for the surrounding land became a blighted and desolate place, Attracting all manner of fell creatures to protect her domain. It is said that Netra herself was transformed into a twisted parody of the serpents that she kept, and as a final gift, the darkness bestowed upon her a deadly power to turn those who met her eyes to stone with the pure malevolence of her gaze. This, I believe, is the meaning of Catfael's verse. Of course, valen interjected like the river she did learn to twist and coil and ever turn and like the rapids she doth speak cursed for never was she meek through her gaze she doth behold immortal men that grow not old and neither she with husbands be lest in her eyes she doth see it makes sense now. Netra is the evil of which it speaks, Valen added. I don't like the sound of that, Keir remarked. True enough, though we have little choice, Beck countered. But at least we are forewarned, and that is to be forearmed. Come now, Knut said encouragingly. Where there is great peril, there is great reputation to be won. I'll tell you what, Keir said, grinning. You could have the reputation, and I'll have the coin. Ha! Laughed Canute. You don't need that sword. Your tongue is sharp enough. The company made their way slowly up the incline, which, it transpired, was steeper than it had looked. The effort required was great, particularly with the burden of weapons and armor, and the companions were forced to pause frequently from the exertion. The hill itself was a difficult enough climb, but it was clear that the ditches and earthworks had been designed as an additional obstacle for any would-be attacker. forts like this are common in my homeland, Felon commented during one of their stops. It's easy to see why, Berry replied, panting. Like the others, the big man's hair was damp with sweat. Eventually, the company reached the summit, though their contentment at conquering the hill was immediately diminished by the scene before them. A wooden palisade sat upon the crest of the hill, like a crown upon a giant's head. The timbers, where they still existed, were in a poor state, rotten and often broken. In contrast, the gatehouse was made of stone, though it too was in a poor state of repair, with moss and weeds growing out of the many cracks in the blocks. What was left of the wooden gates were split, rotting and hanging off their great hinges, And through the open portal the decaying keep of Kerudu could be seen. The company passed cautiously through the portal, weapons at the ready. Beyond they found themselves in a large courtyard. The ground was predominantly dirt, with the occasional sparse patch of weeds and grass. By the west wall of the palisade were the roofless and collapsed remnants of some timber outbuildings and close to these was a dead willow tree, under whose lifeless boughs was a statue of a man. The party approached, and as they got closer, the details of the statue became clear. The figure wore scale armour, and held a sword, both of an ancient style. The features on the man's alabaster face were lifelike, and were cast in an expression of fear and pain. It was chilling. Nidra, Valen stated softly. Here, Lena said, taking bandages from her backpack and handing them out. Tie these about your foreheads, pull them over your eyes if you need. I think the party would naturally investigate what is left of the outbuildings. Given his background, Keir would be used to looking for hidden items so I'm going to make a search test for the rogue based on his wisdom score of 9. Here is the roll. A 2. The company did as they were instructed, and after they moved to investigate the remains of the outbuildings. Whilst the warriors stood on guard, the others picked through the debris. It was clear that one of the buildings used to be a forge. An anvil and a variety of blacksmith's tools lay scattered about, and a disused furnace was positioned in the centre of the building. What do we have here? Kier announced rhetorically. The rogue had moved a crate of tools, and under which, in a hollow in the ground, was a small bundle. The rogue picked it up and unwrapped the rotting cloth. Inside was a small vial containing a pale yellow liquid. What do you make of this? He asked, handing the vial to Valen. But before the mage could reply, everyone's attention was caught by the sweet, melodious sound of singing. It was captivatingly beautiful, yet haunting. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Time once again to give thanks to my cast of voice actors. Returning to the show in the role of Canute is the indomitable John Cohen, creator of Tale of the Manticore podcast. Thank you, John. I'm grateful as ever. You could also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements or by recommending the show online or to a friend. Alternatively, if you'd like to show your appreciation by buying me a metaphorical cup of tea, then I now have a Kofi page at ko-fi.com forward slash Legend of the Bones. Any donations will go towards the show's running costs. If you'd like to get in touch, then you can contact me on X at legendbones, Mastodon at Legend Bones at TTRPG-Hangout.social, Instagram at Legend of the or email at legendofthebones at gmail.com. I also keep a blog at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. There you can find show notes, character profiles, house rules, art, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the Bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of Bone. Hello, dear listeners. I'm Coop the GM, host of the Echoes of Esheton podcast. Echoes of Esheton is a post-apocalyptic solo play audio drama where the dice rolls tell the story. Join me each week for a gripping journey across the deserts of Borka, festering swamps of Franca, and mother spore fields of Poland. These mature tales abandon whimsy and embrace the dark with grit, gore, and a glimmer of hope. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Listener discretion advised.